Welcome to the Something Forum by Echo & Co, a podcast where we talk about digital and organizational transformation, innovation, and nonprofits, and hope you learn something along the way. For this series, we welcome guest Andy Krakow, president of Hillcrest Advisory. He talks to us about how nonprofits can use data to tell their stories and how you can start using data to reach your organization's goals. We'll also talk about his career journey and work with Hillcrest Advisory. And now your host, Andy Vanderland. Welcome back to the Something Forum. I'm Andy with Echo and Co. And I'm here with another Andy, Andy Krakoff. Did I say it right? You got it right. Sweet. I only sort of stumbled over it. Um, with Hillcrest Advisory, we're talking about data and data storytelling and nonprofits and helping them meet their mission. Welcome back. It's good to be back here. In our second episode, we do kind of a pop quiz. Uh, it's not really. We just were going with the theme and sort of de- like, you know, really liked the idea. Uh, but we're we're just going with it. <laughs> um, so we're gonna start with how much does it bug you when people say data and use plural? I mean, singular Ooh. words to describe it. You know what? It doesn't bug me. Um... I think data, I mean, I think I've looked it up and data is officially plural, I think, you know, mm-hmm. I yeah, tend to say yeah. data are this, data are that. Yeah. But I, I recognize that it's a confusing kind of thing. And um, I think it's one of those grammatical rules, and there are probably many others that we should just accept <laughs> both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay yeah, to say okay. data is this, it's okay to also say data are this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I feel very proud of myself when I remember to make it plural when I'm writing. And I just like <laughs> want people to recognize it. Just like slack me. Be like, good job with using R <laughs> instead of is. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> um, all right. So when you are working with clients and you're helping them with creating their story, using data to support that, what are the major forks in the road that you or they face as you're going through these processes? The major forks that come to mind are first one, deciding what data to communicate. We, you know, we talked about that a little bit already um, in the last episode, I should say. So that's one important fork in the road. Another important fork is to decide whether they are going to get audience input on mm-hmm. what they communicate. Now, I, of course, advocate for that uh, because I think audience input, help, input helps us to decide what measures to use, the messaging around those measures, what works, what resonates with people, that is, um, what format the data should take. Should it be a dashboard, a slideshow, a fact sheet, uh, a human-based story, etc.? All of that is hard to do when you're just inside your own brain. So audience development is another fork in the road. But all the, there's, so there's great reasons to go down that route, road of mm-hmm. doing audience input, but A, yeah, it costs probably a little bit more money and it takes more time. So mm-hmm. that's one important decision point. Um, and then I think there are probably, you know, forks in the road about what technologies to use. Should we use off-the-shelf tools that we can, you know, access for free or close to free that um, aren't going to be completely customizable in the way that we want it mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. but also mean a quicker development process yeah. and um, 
you know, and, and a cheaper development process? Or should we use something that's going to be fully customizable, takes longer, costs more money? Um, and by the way, that doesn't have to be an either or choice there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I recommend mm-hmm. to organizations, look, let's get something out there. Let's put the beta version of this out there, you know, um, and let's get some input on it. And then we can use that before we invest in a larger build. You're like reading my mind on these questions right now. I was going to ask what sort of the decision inputs are for whether or not to talk to audiences. And it sounds like time and money are two of the factors. Are there any others that organizations think through as they're deciding whether or not to engage audiences in this? I think there are some organizations that might still need to be convinced of the value of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think some organizations might still have a older model of looking at things of kind of wondering why, why do we need audience input? We, we know this information. We know it so mm-hmm. well. Why, why would we possibly need to talk to others about it? Um, so that's, I think one part that I'm off, find I'm sometimes needing to convince people of hmm. what I find how do you though, go when I ha- yeah <laughs> how do you go about doing that <laughs> how do I go about, yeah how do I go about doing that very good question what I think I end up doing is noting to them that we don't need to talk to everybody you know often I find when I'm having these kinds of audience conversations about how to communicate data sometimes talking to five or 10 people is sufficient. And so that still can take a long time because you need to decide who are you going to talk to? You need to reach out to those people. You need to schedule the interviews. You need to have those conversations. And then you need to summarize the findings. So it's not like it can be done in a week, you know, of that audience input type work. But when they understand that it's not a gigantic survey of, you know, 3,000 people, that helps them, I think, see, okay, this is manageable. We can do this. Um, this leads to road mapping both of these points. Um, like what tools? It sounds like you have this beta version, but also maybe that talking to audience doesn't take a year. It also doesn't take a week. How do you, What does a data roadmap, a data project roadmap look like? What does that look like? A data project roadmap it's, you know, with some organizations, I find that it's, they want to see, you know, almost like the, the Gantt chart view <laughs> almost of what, you know, what's happening exactly when. Uh, yeah, we get those too. <laughs> here, yeah, yeah. Here's the, here's the thing about road mapping it is I find that there's often a lot of tributaries. So, <laughs> or, or smaller roads, I guess, if we're not using the river metaphor, you know, that, um, <laughs> that there can you sometimes find you're going in a different direction because the data discovery leads you down mm-hmm. that different mm-hmm. direction um, or the audience conversations lead you in a different direction. So I do, all that said, I do think I, with, with my organizations, I do try and spell out the larger phases of work, which is often consists of let's first get a sense of the content that you have available, which is both the data and the quotes, stories, videos, photos, all the other things that are going to exist around a data, piece of data. Um, it's, let's understand that. Those are the assets that we have available to us, the ingredients, so to speak, for our data story. 
Um, and then let's get audience input. And let's do some building. <laughs> uh, oh, but there is another. I forgot about an important step, actually, um, that's frequently done in, da in the data world is sketching. Um, there's a lot of work that organizations will do often together. It's great when you can be in like a room together, for example, and go on a whiteboard and, and sketch out like, you know, hey, this is what I think the data should look like. This is how I'm envisioning the graph. Um, mm -hmm. Or this is what I, you know, if it's a web page, this is how I think the web page would be organized. We'd have a piece of data here. We'd have a story about an individual here. And you start to build on each other's ideas. And yeah. sketching in the world of data visualization is usually like a really fruitful endeavor. And mm. when exactly to do that? I mean, you could argue you could do that both before and after the audience input. You definitely want to do that before you start building. But exactly when in the process is can be flexible, I think. Do you find it, hmm, let me roll that, roll that back a little bit, provide some context to this question. I am in product and roadmaps and timelines are often conflated. So we try to not put dates to our roadmaps, just kind of give a, like in the near term, what's coming up next are these things that are pretty well defined. And then they get more ambiguous the further out from our current point in time, but it isn't like January through February, we're accomplishing X and then March through whatever we're doing Y. Like, how do you use roadmaps to communicate what the vision is for data at an organization? As opposed to timelines, you mean? Like As opposed to timelines, or maybe use them kind of like a timeline and say like, this is the process for accomplishing our goals. Well, I got to say, I like how you're describing it because I don't know that I've ever really differentiated between the two, but mm -hmm. I like the notion and I'm thinking about the projects now that I am doing. And there's one project that's particularly complex, lots of moving parts. And I'm thinking about how I've got this great organized, you know, like complex list of what we're going to be doing week to week mm -hmm. on the project. Um, and there's maybe 60 or 70 rows or something like that representing yeah. the various activities, <laughs> but I don't have, I think, the roadmap. Which, mm. So I've got the timeline, but I yeah. don't think I have the roadmap. And I think, you know, now that I think about it, I think sometimes with, especially these more complex projects, the roadmap would be helpful. Now, there mm. are some projects that I do that are shorter term, much more sort of, you know, cut and dry. And it's it's a lot easier. It's sort of understood yeah, almost. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's a mix, I guess. Yeah, for sure. There's like a role for each <laughs> type, depending on what you're communicating and how much ambiguity there is. Is there anything that's happening in your field, um, in data and storytelling, working with nonprofits, you kind of have quite the Venn diagram of experience um, that's surprising you? Like in any of those are combined? Things that are surprising me in terms of like new developments or? Yeah, um, I don't know. Just kind of catching your eye. Um, I was kind of saving this for the last chat, the fourth episode, but like things around how data is maybe being used and in Web3. So the idea there is that users own their data um, and can say who has access to it. 
or maybe, you know, chat GPT is all over the place. So like how data and AI might be impacted. I mean, those are kind of like high level trends in tech, but like what, and you might not care about those things because it's not relevant right now to your work. Um, but like, what's catching your eye? Like, what is interesting? That's just kind of like, hmm, well, look at that. Well, you do, in terms of what's catching my eye, you, I think you are pointing to um, a, a, a soon-to-be trend that in data visualization that we are going to need to mm-hmm. focus on, which is artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I must say that I have not yet experimented with ChatGPT to, to um, ask it to take on some data visualization tasks for me. But I know that in the data visualization forums that I pay attention to, I know that people are starting to think about that. This notion yeah. that you might be able to ask it to, what graph type is the best one? Um, mm. To actually build out the, or to sketch out whatever it might be, or maybe to even help find data. You know, mm. there's where can I find data about X topic at a city level for all states in the country, you know? Um, so that's that's a really big one. Um, yeah. How does that make you feel? <laughs> like <God>. what? <laughs> yeah. I bet there's a lot of people out there, regardless of their field, where they have a bit of angst about, <laughs> you know, yeah, AI. Sure. Not necessarily because, I, I mean, for me, it's, I don't, I mean, I haven't really thought too much about it, like in terms of whether it would, the appropriateness, whether it would get it right. There's, you know, because I haven't evaluated it from that perspective mm-hmm. yet. Right. Data, data visualization, that is. But just because I haven't researched it, so I've got—I yeah. feel like I need to—I need to learn about this. Um, <laughs> maybe you don't want to. <laughs> and maybe, maybe I don't want, want to. to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's—I—I I, I think there's something that's going to take place, probably. Yeah. Um, that's going to involve data visualization, and we need to learn it better. I have a feeling it's going to change the processes that we use Mm, to collect data or to summarize our data effectively. Um, And if that, you know, if it does it correct, then maybe that's a good thing. If there are more organizations out there who can effectively communicate their data, that's good. This the governance around access to that kind of information. I think there just needs to be a lot of checks and balances in it, probably, because it could be really detrimental if we start producing wrong interpretations of data or if it's just like made up. But I don't know. I haven't really looked at it in terms of the data implications. I mean, or like, you know, just, just listening to what you're saying, or that we find a data source but we don't have the expertise to evaluate whether that source mm-hmm. is truly a good source. Is it providing, yeah. you know, the, the data we, we really need? Can we trust the data? Um, there's a lot of questions that one needs to ask of the data before you communicate it. And before you go out there and say that X percentage of people live in poverty in our community, you better be pretty sure that you know that yeah. that's indeed an accurate number. Um, right. And can chat GBT probably, but can it tell us that? Maybe, but but we're, we've been you know sort of accustomed to using we meaning collectively us people who are data analysts or epidemiologists, mm-hmm. people who really have that understanding and can curate the data for us. Mm-hmm. And it's an open question whether chat GBT and others can do that. I suppose. Yeah, I'm also wondering, sort of going off the rails again, but. Um, 
like to the point of earlier, like what might be the positive outlook? And I don't know how this would work, but if we're thinking about uh, in our last conversation, there are these communities that are not represented often or are underrepresented because there are so few people living in them uh, so that their information can't be aggregated. Like maybe there's an opportunity, how might AI help us bring those communities into the like regular fold without smushing them into like a bigger cat, a bigger group of like rural in Southern Arizona. Like there's different groups of people in within that. Um, I don't know, like what opportunities might there be? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think like you were talking about like awkward pause as you're thinking about, AI and its implications. I think there's a lot of that going around these days. Like, yeah. you, know, like, you know, sort of mouth open wide, like, what? You know, what? Yeah. You know, so I think that's a natural thing um, that we're all doing. Yeah. Can, can artificial intelligence help us solve issues where we don't have enough data? Um, if there are ways, and I don't know the answer to this, but maybe if there are ways that it can support the collection of data, Mm-hmm. Uh, then that could help. I, and I don't know whether it can. Um, there are, and I'm, I'm not a statistician, but I know that there are statistical methods that we can use to, uh, and again, I'm not a statistician, so I can't tell yeah. you too much more about these, but there are statistical methods that we can use to um, try and um, use additional data to get a better understanding of a community on a particular topic. Mm -hmm. And probably chat GPT, artificial intelligence can help us do that. So I think there probably is hope that these new tools are going to help us in places uh, where we don't have a lot of data. But, you know, again, it's not... um, it's not common knowledge yet. We'd have to, it's like the, it's like the data frontier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I also keep thinking about like, I'm going back to the last conversation about the access to data, it being more open because Obama's administration like helped to facilitate and set a good example. And because of that openness, how has that made it so things like AI can be more robust? And that might be for a whole other conversation, but um, they seem to be related to me, or at least my brain is connecting them. They are. I mean, you know, if you think of the notion that AI is probably picking out what's publicly available, mm-hmm. um, the fact that we now have, uh, and I never really thought about it until you just mentioned it, the fact that we now have more data that's publicly available in mm. uh, machine-readable formats, too, which is to say <laughs> not, not PDFs. just PDFs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for all I know, artificial intelligence may do great with reading PDFs. I, just, I don't know. But, <laughs> but that we have, that we have um, these data available in machine-readable formats, uh, which means it can be manipulated and such, probably makes it more likely that what is provided to us through an artificial intelligence synopsis of something is, uh, you know, more factual, more fact-filled, and um, something that hopefully we can trust more. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Again, that governance piece makes me me a little nervous. 
Um, okay, I'm going to flip back over to talking about nonprofits. Thank you for following me on to that tangent, um, following my curiosity for a minute. Sure. Um, what are your best tips for an organization who will say, here's this podcast, like, yes, we need data storytelling. Like, what is the first couple of things that they should consider when they're looking at this and thinking about starting an initiative in data and storytelling? I would say it could be helpful for them first to try and see what their peers are doing. What are similar organizations in this field doing? Um, Not, again, for internal communication, which is often done through dashboards, and that's fine. But how are they communicating their data externally? They might get some good ideas there. Uh, uh, Another way of coming at this, uh, or another, uh, I should say, thing that they should think about is what do they have available to them? You know, and that's not so much. I think that's partly what data do they have. And, you know, they may not know beyond the data that they possess what else is available, but there are places to go, organizations, people like me who can help them understand the data at a community level from government agencies that exist. Uh, So that's it. But also, what do they have available? Do they have stories you know, mm-hmm. will they be able to provide a human level sense of what these findings mean? Can they talk about individuals, either through quotes or larger stories or photos? Do they have that type of information available to them? So I think that's a good fundamental question. I would think about budget. How much mm-hmm. do they think they could spend on this? Uh, is this like, you know, 10000 or less? Is this tens of thousands? Is this hundreds of thousands of dollars? Um, and probably timeline. I mean, you know, because you might have a hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you might need to release something in the next three months, in which case that may force your decision because it's very hard to build out these beautiful, engaging visualizations in a short period of time like that. So you might end up using off-the-shelf tools. There's probably other considerations, but those are what come to mind initially. Those are great ones. Um... You mentioned dashboards, and I mentioned in the last episode this great blog post. Can you talk to us a little bit about dashboards and their role and alternatives to them? Like, what purpose do dashboards serve for external audiences? Because um, I know that we have a different story, different user for internal that dashboards That's might right. help with. Um, and, like, alternatives for a dashboard. Yes. Um so we should probably start by defining dashboard because it's one of those words that people often will just sort of throw about. Can you just dashboard the data for me? Um, <laughs> and to me, a dashboard is a presentation of data that is like five or six graphs, probably in like a grid layout, doesn't have to be a grid, but, and, and very little context. You know, there's not a lot of explanation of the data, um, certainly no human level stories, nothing like that. It's the data and it's a lot of data. Um, Dashboards are great when you understand, and using dashboards externally are great when you understand the concepts. So over the last couple of years, we got used to seeing a lot of dashboards about COVID. Um, and that worked great. We understood the underlying indicators related to COVID. Um, dashboards also look well in our car or work well in our car. You know, mm-hmm. we understand what the F and E means for a fuel gauge. You know, (laughs) that's all a dashboard (laughs) phenomenon. We get all that, you know. We don't need to have any context surrounding what we're using in a car. 
But most of the time, nonprofits or government agencies are in the business of communicating data that's not very well publicly understood. It's not about COVID. It's not about, you know, driving, right? You know, these are topics that need some unpacking. And that's when you need to think about other display formats, because Mm. if you show someone a dashboard, they'll probably just look at it and say, okay, where do I start? Because the other thing about dashboards is they don't really have any sense of hierarchy, you know, like all charts are equal kind of thing, you know? Again, fine for internal display. Everyone knows the measures. They understand implicitly where to focus, et cetera. So we need to uh, think about display formats like fact sheets, which can be like that one or two page handout Mm -hmm. or slideshows like a PowerPoint slide presentation or lists. Here are the five things you need to know about the data or or Q&As that can explain the findings as you're sort of scrolling through them. Um, Those kinds of things can really help curate for the user and help them understand. One way that I often think about the difference between the two, dashboards and other formats, is the other formats that I just mentioned are great to help you explain the data. Dashboards are great when after people, when you've explained the data, to help people explore the data on their own. Mm, um, I see. Interesting. But asking people to start with exploring the data on their own is often not a successful endeavor because yeah. they don't know where yeah. to begin. That makes a lot of sense. So I think what I, what I heard, dashboards can be very helpful if you already have the context. So, I mean, even mm-hmm. internally, like you have to know what you're looking at mm-hmm. and what you do is help to take all of the information and provide that context through storytelling. Um, and that ha- could take on various forms. Um, and, you know, don't like, we need the storytelling. We need to know what we're talking about before we look at all of the information. Context is the important word there. And um, I'm glad you used that terminology. Dashboards don't provide context. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like having a nightmare image of, Google Analytics in my head right now. <laughs> that's a great example. I mean, that's a great, you know, and, and Google Analytics, you know, so like if you were uh, Google Analytics, it's probably great internally to inform decision making, but using that as a way to like, if you were just to show the Google Analytics dashboard to your board, for example, yeah. a, a semi, they're internal, but you know, they're yeah. sort of an external yeah. audience, at least right. in terms of their knowledge base. <laughs> They'd probably be like, what am I looking at? What am I supposed what to look heck? at? What are the key findings? Yeah. Tell me what's important. Yeah. That's why you need those other pieces. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Something Forum. Tune in next week as we continue our series with guest Andy Krakoff. Our host is Andy Vanderland. I'm Alyssa Huntley, our editor. The music you hear in this episode is Something About Something by Sarah, the instrumentalist. This podcast is produced by Echo & Co., a digital agency sending creativity on a mission.